What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week, we catch you up on the latest OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things OU football recruiting. I'm Chris Mason, the lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners360.com. As always, joined by my partner in crime, Caleb Cummings, talent evaluator and opinion creator. This is a special episode we're doing. We have Matt Burns and Kyle Dahlgren joining us to help us discuss all things related to the biggest recruiting story pretty much of the year right now. So this is episode 45. It's a bonus edition, and it is affectionately titled, Everybody Must Get Stoned. So as always, we will begin with the latest recruiting news, and the only news we're talking about today is the commitment of David Stone. So last night at the halftime of the IMG St. Joe's prep game on ESPN2, where David was having one hell of a football game, at halftime he sat down at the infamous recruit table with three hats, and it was a Miami hat, an OU hat, kind of a a strange-looking OU hat. It just said Boomer Sooner, and it wasn't really the kind of hat I was expecting. And then a Michigan State hat, so... He was down to just three schools. He appeared to be taking the Miami hat and then put on the OU hat. And there was much celebration from his family. His family looked excited about it. So it looked great. So just to give you guys a quick rundown on how this recruiting story went before we start with the good stuff. Uh, This has been a two-year recruiting battle at the very least. He was offered in summer of 2021 by the Lincoln Riley staff and has been basically rumored to commit to OU somewhere in the range about four or five times since then, and then finally pulled the trigger uh, last night. Uh, This recruiting battle has gone around and around and around. Uh, He certainly has visited a bunch of campuses unofficially. Uh, There was a heavy flirtation with Michigan State for a while. Michigan State had a couple of uh, defensive assistants that had really clicked with uh, with David, Marco Coleman being the primary one, the former Georgia Tech defensive end, who I think actually is now back at Georgia Tech. Uh, once he left Michigan State, that kind of really put a damper on Michigan State. They had a, another defensive coordinator. I can't remember his name. 
he left to go to he left to go to the NFL. I believe he went to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and you know, Mel Tucker was obviously heavily recruiting David as well. So after Michigan State sort of fell off, OU really kind of moved. You know, we always thought that OU was in the lead, uh, but Michigan State dropped off, and then OU kind of had the lead, had the lead. And he took some visits, official visits in June. Um, we thought he might commit at the Barbecue U event in June 19th when he visited. But to be honest, that really wasn't sort of the big stage David had been kind of hinting at that he was going to that he was going to want. So we were able to uh, we kind of missed that date a little bit, but we were we were pretty certain that OU was in the lead. Um, the commitment by Jaden Jackson to Oklahoma was a big, I think, a big tip off that. OU had a significant lead here just because, you know, David seemed to be recruiting Jaden to Oklahoma. Uh, so that was kind of a, a tip off that, you know, that's that's the way this is going to go. And then, you know, Michael Patterson McDonald, his best friend from Oklahoma City, had an OU offer and also committed. So it, it looked, and there were other interviews with other players where it just certainly looked like OU, uh, David Stowe was kind of recruiting for OU. So that was, in my mind, the biggest tip off. Obviously, Right before he made the announcement, we we had some Miami drama, and based upon his comments and other comments around, it looked like Miami was a serious contender that final week. I, David said he made the decision at the last minute. I haven't talked to David, so we'll just go with what David says that he decided, you know, the night before or to to choose OU and was basically you know coordinating with his mom, who has been a little bit of the source of. Um, wanting him to perhaps not stay in state, um, uh, she's sort of the has been sort of the main family member. Maybe wanting him to go somewhere else, get away from Oklahoma, maybe get away from get away from whatever influences she wasn't happy with it, within state. But all that's resolved. David Stone is now a committed to OU. He's recruiting for OU, uh, and I think I, I, anything's possible. But I, I don't see this be having a lot more drama to it moving forward. So uh, that's kind of the quick, the quick version of the David Stone two-year recruiting process. So now we're going to move into the good part of this, the fun part of this for us. What, what's OU getting in David Stone? So we'll start with our lead evaluator, but we've got some other opinions to, to provide here. So, Caleb, we're going to give you the, the, first, the first swing at this. What are the Sooners getting in David Stone? You know, probably don't have to go on and on about uh, him as a player. He's ranked inside the top 10, I think, composite. Uh, some groups have him as high as, I think, what, top five. That's from a defensive tackle standpoint, you know, but just as an overall player. And uh, I think all that's accurate. You know, when you watch his film, I mean, there's a lot of things that jump out. Uh you know, just like his body composition, how athletic he is, how he moves. Uh, you know, even last night in some of the clips that came out, they would go, they got into a, and again, the team they played was a top 10 national team in high school with a bunch of Division One Power 5 football players on it. So he was not going against just a, you know, a real cruddy team or anything, right? And you see him just, um, you know, they get to a three-man front. They kick him outside, playing uh, playing an edge position, and he's in a two-point stance, and he beats the tackle uh, to the you know to the edge and wins with speed. Uh, he's just a really rare athletic guy inside. Uh, but at the same time, you watch him play with really good pad level, bring his hands. And again, this is against you know future 
SEC interior offensive lineman, and you'll see him bully them, get half a man, get upfield, and and be disruptive and make the you know attack on the backfield or uh, or you know rush the quarterback. I think that's the thing with me. Like if you're looking at it. And this isn't like a shot at like Bear Alexander because USC played last night or anything, right? But those guys like they're more in his in his shape that are you know six three, six four, three hundred and twenty pounds, uh, and maybe not as disruptive athletically. I think there's a little bit less value. Like I don't know if that's really truly a five star. What makes I think David so impressive is just how disruptive he is, how athletic he is, and his ability to uh, make just really live on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think he's truthful. I think he's the best interior defensive tackle prospect Oklahoma's signed since Tommy Harris. I think he's, you know, you look at him as a senior and what he is and where he's at. He's, he's quite a few notches above Gerald, right? Gerald played against Oklahoma city high school competition. He wasn't a highly developed guy physically. It took him a year under Schnitty and then it took really to the end of his redshirt freshman year where you started saying, you know, it was like, I think really in that, Missouri uh, title game and, and against Florida, you're like, okay, wow, this guy is, he's starting to be a dominant player, right? And, and so, uh, I mean, David's got the ability to step in immediately year one, be in the rotation, and I think be an impactful guy, you know? Uh, I, I, we'll see how he continues to develop physically and how Todd Bates develops him from a technique standpoint, but really looking at what Todd Bates has done with all the guys he's coached. It's hard to look at that David, where he's at, his skills and how disruptive he is and not see, you know, someone with first round potential, you know, I mean like a Brian Greasy, a little, maybe, maybe a little bit more stronger at the point of attack. Uh, right. Maybe uh, than even Greasy was coming out. Uh, what about Jeffrey you know, Simmons? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the comps I kind of looked at. Uh, Simmons really developed really well at, at Mississippi State uh, physically. So, Kyle, you, um, you've, this first time you've joined us on this podcast. Uh, welcome to the, the Sooners 360 Recruiting Pod. Kyle, um, Caleb's, uh, Caleb's off proffered his opinion, um, and Matt's obviously jumped in with uh, an interesting comp. Uh, what, do you think, uh, what do you think of David Stone? Yeah, no, I- I was kind of raising my eyes thinking about him being better than GK back in the day, but I just kind of forgotten of, yeah, the competition and then thinking about the fact that he did have to come in and redshirt after a year. And so I went and looked at his stats at OU and even seen his freshman year, redshirt freshman year, only 19 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. Like it, it was kind of a slow build. You know, you probably get some flashes here and there, but seeing what David Stone looks like on the field, against top competition. And I think someone even said on Twitter last night, I mean, he's surrounded by power five players on that IMG roster and he just still sticks out like crazy. Um, it's really impressive. And I guess I was unaware how often he even lines up at defensive end at this, you know, time seeing how he comes off the edge and, and like you guys throw out the Jeffrey Simmons comp, like that's really interesting to me to think of, as we saw last year, the number of times we'd go into a three down front, we didn't quite have the the horses to do that. But if you start bringing in athletes like this, I mean, you can really start getting creative with that front and what you want to do and, and flex the guy out like David Stone on one end and and have a kind of a stand up edge. Like people want to think about Desan McCullough being in the kind of 
you know, close to the line of scrimmage cheetah role. Um, and we've got, we've talked circles around that one. It's just like, man, bringing in these kind of players just, you know, allows Bates and BV and, and all those guys to just be so much more creative with how they want to bring pressure and, you know, what kind of sub packages you want to do. I mean, at the end of the day, having more and more five-star defensive linemen is never a bad thing. And I think we all kind of uh, were watching some of the early games yesterday, just seeing the difference of athletes on the field. And and you're just like, man, I, I it's going to be a, a, an adjustment for OU fans to kind of get back to, to having this kind of talent on the field. I'll say that. <laughs> Matt, do you, uh, obviously Jeff Simmons is your, is your comp. Did you, did you have a chance to watch any of his game last night? I watched a, a few of the, the highlight like, clips yeah. that you had sent. Uh, I'm going to watch that game today. Uh, but, like, Kyle, to your point, you know, this this defense seems like they want to run some multiple looks. We tried last year. It didn't work. But we didn't have a guy like David Stone. We didn't have a guy like, knock on wood, Nigel Smith. Um, a couple versatile guys that are big can move, can make plays from, uh, you know, three tech, four eye, all across the line, really. And that's why Stone is so unique to me. Uh, Caleb, you kind of brought this up a little bit ago. Some of the bigger five-star defensive tackles are in that 6'2", 315, 320 range coming out of high school. It's really hard to go back through the last 10 years and look at the top 10 ranked defensive tackles and find a pretty good direct comparison to David Stone at 6'4", 285, not a lot of bad fat on him, in good shape. I brought up Jeffrey Simmons as a comp because Jeffrey Simmons, by the time he left Michigan State, or uh, Mississippi State, was 6'4", 290, pushing, I think he, he weighed at the combine right around 300. And he's that kind of unique player where he can play a little bit inside. He's quick enough off the ball to play a little bit outside. But that's him as a uh, graduating, or not graduating, a junior going into the NFL draft. This is David Stone as a senior in high school. And I think if that guy has his head on straight when he gets to Norman and gets under Schmitty, and gets with Todd Bates, he's only going to be in Norman for three years. No, I agree. He's a, he is an early enrollee, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what it IMG sounds like. Is. Yeah. yeah. I've never yeah. Seen, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody at IMG that wasn't. Uh, I, I, I agree completely. Uh, he is. He's just further along physically than a lot of, I think, again, I think a lot of the guys that end up going, and this is why when I talk about why I like, you know, offensive linemen, maybe they're a little bit lighter, defensive tackles that aren't massive in high school because, you know, Simmons, I think, coming out was 255, 260 in high school. But, you know, really quick, right? You just start eating and working out, and you're 280. It's just, I'm pulling up it. his profile because they're saying he was 275, but I think – he was like 235 as a junior in high school. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at kind of some of the tallest defensive tackles and in, in some of the databases. What about someone like a Rashawn Gary who, you know, graduated I mean, out, of high school, out of high school? Yeah. I mean, that comp It's works. like, you know, he's showing kind of similar. Works. Yeah. They, they kind of kept him more at the end and didn't bulk him up as much. And, you know, he stayed in that 
I think his combine was showing yeah. like 280 pounds to 75. So, you know, probably could have put a little bit more on him, but six, four and a half um, could play inside, outside. I was, I was trying to come up with some other names. And well, that shit, one was Gary, interesting to me. Gary's Gary. a because Gary showed up and he was, as a, as a recruit, he was 290 and played up and down the line. Wasn't, I remember like he was really good looking guy, but he had, he had some weight. He could probably shit. And he goes to Michigan and like their strength staff did a number on him and he ended up leaving like around 280. But I think I know he at a, at a Nike camp or an Under Armour camp in, in high school, he ran five something, 501, 51. I think it was in the fives and he, he went to the combine, ran, ran four five, I think, four five eight, four six, and plays outside linebacker effectively for uh, Green yeah, Bay he's now. <laughs> three four yeah. outside yeah. linebacker. At the combine so, six four two seventy seven. That's actually that's a good point though, like Kyle brings up. And again, that's why I think for me, why David Stone is like a true composite five star top ten player is because of his athletic ability. Like it's we you know we're like rolling through ten years of saying, okay, show me someone this big and this athletic. Uh, that's actually really, you know, again, like his body composition. It's not a, a big fluffy guy. It's not a bad weight. It's, you know, you watch him run the short shuttle. He looks like a linebacker running the short shuttle. Like his short shuttle times actually are linebacker times. It's really impressive. His ability to, you know, explode, you know, drop his, drop his hips, uh, you know, bend at the knee. Yeah. I mean, I, you get him with Todd Bates and Jerry. Uh, I do. I don't know if he'll be like Tommy and start the very first snap of his collegiate career and blow up an all ACC center and take a tackle for loss, right? Like that. I remember that was like, oh shit. Uh, but you know, if he told me he started his first snap of the 2024 season, I, yeah, I would not be surprised. So, uh, to another Mississippi State name that sort of comes to mind, my mind, and this is like high ceiling, high cotton kind of territory, Cox. is Chris Jones. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's six four, six five. Has always been about three hundred pounds, and the Kansas City uses him as tackle and pretty much all they just they move him around and he just I mean, other than Mahomes, he's he's probably the number one reason they won the the Super Bowl last year. I mean, he just he's just a he's just a great player. So I think that's a comp. And Mississippi State's always had good has had really good defensive line coaches, uh, and. They've had a hard time keeping them because people keep poaching them. So, but Bates' track record would seem to indicate that you give him raw materials like this. Christian Wilkins maybe is also not a bad in the comp range, right? Williams is a Wilkins is what like six four three hundred. Yeah, I, I looked at that comp last night. He 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 came out a little bit chubbier than uh, than David Stone. He was more of a recomp type. Stone is like ready to play. He could play this fall if he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, he's when you look at him on when you look at him in his. I mean, I, I did a Twitter space with Barry last night to talk about this. Uh, he for two eighty eight, which is what he says he is, and I'm not going to certainly doubt the man. I mean, he looks incredibly lean for two eighty eight. To, to to Kyle's to Caleb's point, he looks like a linebacker almost um, physically wise. He's just he's just that lean. He's a lean 288. It's just, I'm just trying to imagine what he's going to look like uh, if he enrolls early and, and doesn't have any setbacks. 
I, I think him starting game one is a distinct possibility when you consider that the competition ahead of him is, 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 we'll see what it looks like, you know, this fall, but it's not, there's no one really, there's, there's no one like, like him on campus right now. It's like PJ, right? There's, there's nobody like PJ on campus right now. And we're losing so, like a million guys. And yeah, so he has the potential. Like, you know, I remember Caleb that North Carolina game. Well, I remember it was uh, was it like the it was a special it was a special kickoff classic game, and and Tommy was everywhere, which is crazy. Uh, so could he pull that off? Yeah, he he could, uh, and it would be more a reflection of his talent level at this point than it would be that OU just has no defensive tackles. It would be that he's he's just that good. Okay, guys. So let's just do a little bit more deep deep dive into this. So. First off, um, put this in some historical perspective for me. So, so how big a recruit is this uh, for OU? And Matt, we'll let you go first. All right. I think Kyle probably has some of this data, too. We know Kyle's the data guy. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll let him interrupt me at any point. Uh, but if you go back to 2005, and I use the composite from – 2010 to 2020-ish, because um, then you could get more of an industry comparison. But from 05 to 09, really rivals is the main ranking yeah, um, the ranking data back then is just crap. Right. So if you go back to 2005, we had Demarcus Granger in that class. He was the number 11 overall prospect and the number one defensive tackle. And then that following season, 06, Gerald McCoy, as we discussed, Number four overall, number one defensive tackle. That's it. That's the last time we've ever had a top 10 defensive tackle, really a top 10 defensive lineman, period, hand-in-the-ground type guy up until PJ. And PJ was, was right around 11? Was he 11? I, his composite, I, thought using, he, I think, slipped into the top 10. Where was Jamarcus McFarland? Yeah, so that's what I, I bumped it past five stars. Thirty six just to kind of do that six and above because I kind of feel yeah. like that six are always like the top fifty difference makers, right? So, Jamarcus McFarland was a six point oh four star, thirty sixth. Uh, PJ finished twenty first on Rivals, but we know his his on three was a little higher. higher. These guys are, yeah. you guys just forgot about R.J. Washington. He wasn't. Uh, was he like top fifteen? We were getting so, to ends. Okay, okay. I, I was okay. just starting with tackles. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if Go if ahead. you want to circle back to R.J. Washington in two thousand eight class, thirteen overall, he was the number one weak side defensive end. But he was mm-hmm. he was two forty five coming out of out of high school. So it's not like he was a two ten Clayton Smith edge type. Uh, he was a true, you know, hand in the ground D end mm-hmm. out of high school. Um, you got Justin Chase on <laughs> in '09 in the, the same class, the screwdriver. the screwdriver. So that that class really, when I looked at that, I was like, okay, maybe that's the closest comp defensive line wise mm-hmm. to what this class could look like. Well, and even in '09, you've got Ronell Lewis was yep. a six point oh forty fourth player. In the country so had, overall, and you know we we know he was basically defensive end in that scheme. So, yep, there's you three had, guys in McFarland, Chason, and Lewis all in the yep. 2009 class, and that's about as close as it gets 
2018 is kind of an interesting class. Um, you had Ronnie Perkins in there as a weak side defensive end, but he was a you know inline defensive end all the way, uh, 66 overall. Um, and as somebody pointed out earlier, he's the only one who really hit his ceiling. Uh, he's still in the NFL. Uh, but in that class, had Michael Thompson, 72 overall, number four defensive tackle, and he lasted at defensive tackle for three Five practices. <laughs> and Jalen Redmond, who the recruiting services were all over the map with him, he yeah. was on 24-7. They loved him. 24-7 loved him. He was 16 overall, true five-star, but in the composite, even when you factor that in, he fell all the way to 135. So still an interesting class. Michael Thompson obviously didn't pan out. Jalen Redmond, I'd say he panned out. Um, but He didn't pan out to the five-star level. Not to the five-star level. Then 130, really, 135, top, top 200. Yeah, he more or less banned out. Yeah, all right. And then there's really only two other candidates. If you don't include Perrion Winfrey, who was JUCO, in 2011, you have Jordan Phillips, 48 overall, the who fourth did. defensive tackle, still in the NFL. Neville Gallimore, 2015, 71 overall, 11 defensive tackle. Man, 2015 must have been a good year for D tackles. Uh, but he panned out. I mean, he's still on the Cowboys, you know, in the 2D. Yeah, he had a, he had a good, good. I mean, you just wonder a little bit what Gallimore could have been. I mean, that's like a guy, if, you, if Todd Bates could have got hold of him, that's, yeah. that, that's like a whole different career path, right? You, we can just sort of imagine that, that he's, he's, he would have been very different. And um, Lampkin wasn't that ready, that, that highly, was he? Not. No, I didn't even put him on here. I think he was outside the top 100. If a guy wasn't okay. in the top 100, I didn't put him on the list. But well, that makes sense, yeah. Gallimore's another good you know, body comparison example. He's 6'2", a little bit more sawed off, a little bit chubbier. When you're comparing him to David Stone, 6'4", chiseled, 285, right? So, like, even any of these guys, it'd be really hard to find a body comparison to David Stone out of that entire list. Jordan Phillips, enormous dude. I, I mean, 6'6", what, 320 out of high school or something like that? Yeah. Um, and he plays really, three, like 350 in the NFL, right? 340? Uh, he's easy. a big dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of these guys you can really compare. DeMarcus Granger was a bigger guy. Jamarcus McFarland, a bigger guy. Um. Justin Chase on maybe. Um, yeah. He was a little bit more, uh, crazier though. <laughs> Jordan Phillips, I think, had the athletic ability maybe to be close to as disruptive as uh, as David is. Uh, he was like a guy that could do, you know, at 6'6", 300 pounds, you know, he could do like a standing backflip. Uh, but now remember that know, die off, of, he did a backflip off a diving board, right? Yeah, I mean, but he just got he got so big, he's so much bigger, you know. He's continued to develop. I, yeah, none of those none of the guys we've really brought up. I mean, truthfully, like this is pretty wild, right? Like, it's uh, probably say you know, looking at it from a recruiting standpoint, uh, it would be Tommy and David Stone a little bit above the rest. You know, Tommy, David Stone, and then right underneath him, GK. Uh, and I don't want to discount Gerald because he was, you know, I remember in the Army All-American game, he was, you know, playing in the opposing team's backfield. So not 
try to say, hey, just because he played against OKC, but it, it just took him a little, you know, a couple of years to, to truly develop what was a top five pick. So, uh, I mean, yeah, David's David's disruptive ability and athletic ability is it, it puts him in a pretty rare spot. Okay, so I'm going to go first here and then give you guys a chance. I'm going to steal it. So this is the biggest commit since, I'm going to say, Adrian Peterson. So, Kyle, biggest commit since? Man, not even any time to think. Uh, All right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Since PJ, like, we can't just, like, brush over the fact that Venables <laughs> came in and year one landed a five-star defensive lineman that we, yeah, but we hadn't PJ, even been sniffing, I feel like. It's like yeah, I don't want to just brush off how big of a deal that was last year. Now, granted, when he committed, it was not, you know, like the national pub because we saw the rise and, you know, him yeah. sticking with us and ending up, what, like a top five player on some sites at the end. So maybe that's uh, my cop out of, of – I'll have to think on it in a minute, but uh, – We'll let you come um, back for another answer, so – yeah. All right, man. Biggest commit since um Joe Mixon kind of stands out in my mind. I feel like that was kind of in the middle of as uh, okay. Bob really still in it anymore and all that stuff. And then boom, five star running back out of California, true difference maker, walks into campus and could have played day one, if not for some other things. But um, you know, that was oh, a big one. Yeah. <laughs> National stage. Had to go there, didn't you, Caleb? All right. Yeah, <laughs> Had to go there. Caleb the boxer, it's, right? It's, it's, it's one of those. I mean, if, if we ever if we ever have to fill out fill content, Joe Mixon playing in 2014 is a big what if story, right? I mean, yeah. you don't lose to OSU that day because OU just ran out of running backs that day because P. Ryan on that long touchdown run, um, you know, came up lame after that. So, mm -hmm. you know, he, you don't, you don't, you don't lose to OSU. So do you, you don't end up in the, I don't think you end up in that stupid Clemson bowl game and you, you don't end up getting embarrassed then. So definitely, definitely. So I guess Matt, my only point would be on Joe Mixon is that OU had just gotten, OU had DeMarco Murray and AD still giving them the running back you kind of label back then. That's true. So I mean, this is a this is an elite defensive lineman that just by rankings, OU hasn't signed since Gerald McCoy. So does that change your, does uh, that change things up a little bit for you? Possibly, but I that was the the one that stuck out in my mind as like the last time I was intently watching and saying, okay, all right, from a yeah. buzz, can, from a buzz, can standpoint. I adjust my? Uh, 2023 pick to Peyton Bowen, considering the entire 24 hour period was. It's still that's, a five star that is defender that we were not used to. And, and that was one where everyone is literally watching the Instagram live, <laughs> wondering what the heck is going on, and even learning that and he we, commits and elsewhere. And we did a podcast that evening. I think yeah. Caleb and Matt and I we were all like, we don't know what the hell's going on. We don't know where he's going to sign. We don't know what he's doing. Um, Including his family, apparently. Yeah. So, okay. I'm so, like, yeah, there's my mulligan for the day. All right. Okay. Well, that's an interesting. I mean, from a publicity standpoint, you were completely right. I mean, and of course, it was signing day as well. So, that just amped up everything completely. And and normally, you'd be like, well, he's a safety. But he, he may be, we may be looking at the best and let's let's throw some more hyperbole we've threw tommy harris around so we're throwing the 
throwing names out there that just first names, you know, sort of like, you know, like rock stars like Sting, you know, Bono. So, you know, so when you talk about OU defenders, right, they're like four or five guys we mentioned just by one name from the Stoops era, right? It's it's Roy, it's Tommy, Gerald, maybe Derek, right? You don't you don't get much past that. So Bowen is 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 trending right now to be the best safety since Roy, right? In a very different world of football. Yeah, um, I would say so, right? I mean, that's 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 the hype we're getting from everybody, right? right. It's, it's it's interesting. I mentioned this before, Roy. I think uh, Manny Diaz I thought it was one of the better interviews that I've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. when he really was breaking. And I don't down. think he's a great defensive coordinator, so it's shocking to see him being so. Uh, he's not uh, bad. He's just okay. He's, all right, he's, all right, he's yeah. got. He has tendencies, and his tendencies okay. are. To be aggressive, and when being yeah. aggressive fails, the next tendency is to be more aggressive, which I kind of like, but it, it gets him burned. But he, he brought up a point, right, where he talked it was about a great, it was a great point. It was a great, great point where he talked about you know, so hey, defensive end, uh, so defense tackle to some extent, corner. These are physical trait positions. Like, do you have the ability as a defensive end to? Do you have the length? Can you dip? Can you get the corner? Are you twitchy and explosive? That corner, can you run? Can you turn and run? Can you change direction, right? Linebacker and safety, to his point, those are processing positions. Like, yes, you need to be athletic, but the great ones process information and see things before other folks are able to go. And where you get, I think, truly like special football players is when you get the ability to process it. Like, between the years, they're amazing. And then you add in athletic ability. And it seems like Peyton Bowen, everything you hear, like it's that. Like Brent talking about, he just gets it. Football's easy. He understands where the ball's going. He sees it before it's there. And you like Reggie and other guys on the team talk about, man, when this guy turns and runs, he just runs by everybody. Like he's floating and just his ability to accelerate and move is different than the other guys in that safety room. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's I think he's got the potential to be that guy. I, so, to give you who I think it's the biggest one since, I think it's the biggest one since Jackson Arnold. Okay. And I think when we pull back and say, okay, like, remember everything that occurred, when you remember everything that occurred, right, uh, during, you know, uh, Lincoln leaving, it's, hey, here's the quarterback whisperer. He's left. Every quarterback he's had the last three or four years has transferred out. Best quarterback in the country has left and gone with him. What's kept Oklahoma afloat for a decade is elite quarterback play. Can they continue that? And to immediately flip that on its head and go get the best quarterback in the country uh, in okay. that class is is pretty pretty special. Okay. Well, so let's just – one last final topic for this. Um, we'll go with how big – how big a deal do you think this is for the twenty-four for the twenty-four class and maybe the twenty-five class? And, and Matt, I'll let you go first on this. How? What do you think this possibly does to the, to, to the trajectory of both of those classes? I think it's huge. I mean, you had the bad news. Uh, was that last week? And it, two, it, weeks, it, two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Almost two weeks. And it, it you know it only takes half a month to get basically the best news you could have gotten, and you already see on Twitter other recruits tweeting about it. They're reaching out. Even Denson up in uh, Rhode Island uh, making a comment about it. I think it's big. A guy like Nigel Smith, 
now knows, hey, David Stone is going to be in an OU uniform. If I commit to OU, I'll be playing next to that guy. And P.J. Adebaore is on the outside, right? McKinley, we've heard that those two are, are friends. Stone and McKinley kind of hit it off, right? They were at the barbecue U together. So unlike Winery, who wasn't at that event. Who wasn't Mc- there. McKinley was bonding. We were told was bonding with Nigel Smith and David Stone. And that's where all this whole power line stuff started. And he's sitting there thinking, okay, I can play next to David Stone. It's kind of a domino effect where all these players are like, okay, well, if David Stone is at three tech and Jaden Jackson, who is good. I mean, we saw it last night, right? He looked very good. I mean, he, he looked he's like a, inside. easy, 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 should be a national composite top 200 player. Every, if you're a recruiting service and you don't have Jackson in the top 200, go back and redo what the, whatever the hell you're doing. And is he committing to OU if he didn't think David Stone was going to? I don't think so. I think Stone is the Pied Piper of this class to really bring it home and push it back to that top five level that started to waver after the bad news two weeks ago. So I think there might even be one or two guys out there that we haven't even talked about. That they're thinking, maybe I'll give Todd Bates a call. Maybe I'll give... Chavis a call. Maybe I'll give whoever a call and just see what's going on. So Kyle, from just a stat standpoint, what I've been looking at, I mean, there was no chance OU was getting a top 10 class if David Stone had chosen Miami. Does, does your sort of stat crunching sort of agree with that, that, that quick review? Yeah, I think it's just kind of like what we were just saying is the kind of snowball effect that, that it kind of, creates is not only, I mean, his huge point contribution to the class building into that top 10, but what other guys kind of peak or, you know, reopen. I mean, we didn't even get into the the main impact. I think that defensive tackles create us in the linebacker room. I mean, what kind of guys possibly want to circle back? We still have Platt sitting out there and who knows if he's already made up his mind of which direction he's thinking, but you got to think this makes it more attractive to come to Norman. And then some of the guys that are even committed elsewhere, we know that bonded with Brent over the months and then, you know, maybe picked an Ohio State or, or things of that nature. Maybe kind of if we get out there, looks good on the field. You've got, you know, defensive tackles playing better, much better linebacker depth. And it just looks better in the front seven. And, you know, there's five stars coming in the class with you. Like, that's got to be more attractive. So um, and, and Nigel Smith's good friends with Peyton Pierce. So that's, yeah, Peyton, yeah. that's not going to hurt either if if. Exactly. If, if, they so, go, if they miss on Platt and all of a sudden, you know, we know Ohio State's not going in the tank with Marvin Harrison Jr. and no. all those other guys. But sure. if OU is, to your point, you know, he's he can come up, he, go, he can't easily get to Columbus. We got three or four guys, Michael Hawkins, Nigel Smith, who can he can hop a ride up to Norman for a game with the same thing that, that how OU got Peyton Bowen. So I think your point is, well made that if OU's playing really well and you know Stutzman's having a great year maybe all big 12 defensive player of the year kind of a season which I think is I think that's in the that's in the that's in that's possible that's not like a, a dream I'm not sucking five cans of hopium to come up with that uh I think it would be that could be interesting and I think to your point at at the very least Brent Venables has another conversation with Braden Platt this week and says, I know you may be thinking about Oregon, but we now have, we now have got an elite front in front of you and you can just eat, 
eat all day with those guys. So, yeah, I think that's a great point, Kyle. So, so Caleb, now that I think you're, I think you're ready to, uh, to well, what do you think this does for the just for the twenty four class? I think you almost said it a little bit with your Jackson Arnold point that David Stone's almost a five star quarterback for this class. Yeah, I think that he is. I, I, um, Kyle and Matt talked about it, right? His he's the pipe. He could be the pipe piper for this class. You know, uh, we've all you and I particularly uh, since. We first watched this film and talked about how good Danny Okoye is, how good of a, how much potential he has as a defensive end, right? As a, as an edge rusher. He's, he's up the, up the road in Tulsa. Uh, he's an in-state kid. You know, Danny's ability to go get, which I think, you know, honestly, I didn't realize until Kyle said it, I didn't realize that uh, the recruiting services had Ron L. Lewis ranked as high as they did. Uh, oh yeah. You know, Ron L. was a, was a yeah. beast. And, and I, and I yeah. think that I think that Danny should fall. You know, if he's not a five star, he should fall in that same spot in that same area. You know, he's uh, a little bigger, uh, probably a little faster. Uh, I mean, he, he's he, but he's that same type of guy. Uh, just further, he's he's you know he's more advanced physically. He's got better physical tools than what Ronell had. And uh, Ronell, Ronell, when when he went to the All Star game, that's what that's what really boot. He was doing well on the rankings. But he went to the All Star game, and everybody was just like, "Okay, he's hurting people in practice." Again, yeah, it's it's again. You watch him on film, and it's like, "Okay, he's playing against eight men. Do these physical skills? Do they scale?" And then you get him in with you know other elite players, like, "Okay, yeah, his physical ability scales." Yeah, he looks he looks elite. Yeah, yeah, I think the same thing will happen with with Danny. I mean, his ability to go out uh, and and close on guys, help Oklahoma close on guys like Nigel Smith, like Danny Okoye, you know. We're sitting here talking about Oklahoma landing a a five star top ten defensive tackle, uh, and we're talking about them potentially going and getting another defensive lineman that's top one hundred. Actually, let's say two defensive linemen that end up in the composite top one hundred in Nigel Smith and, and Danny Coy. That's pretty shocking that they would be you know secondary, right? I think that's the kind of potential he has to help Oklahoma sign what probably could potentially be. Overall, the best defensive line class Oklahoma has signed. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's even a question. I can't think no, I mean, of. If, they, if we're just one. if we're going to limit it to just those, to Wyatt Gilmore, Danny Okoye, Nigel Smith, Jaden Jackson, and David Stone, that five player class, it, it's the best group of defensive linemen OU's brought in. Numbers wise, especially five guys that with that level of quality. Uh, I mean, Wyatt Gilmore. I mean, some people are like, ah, who's this guy from Minnesota? He's got good film. Um, I know Caleb and I like him a little more than than some some other folks on our site. I know Barry. We clashed a little bit with Barry there, but that's all right. That's why we have a site. We have different opinions, different viewpoints. Uh, I think it's 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 really good. And and again, we're you're you still have i mean you still have the ability perhaps you you know i don't think the dom mckinley thing is over we'll see what happens this week and, and that's where i was going to go is like that is the million dollar question like yeah. the prize at the end of the tunnel if 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 david's able to go out and help todd bates and Brent Vittables land mckinley to play along with him i mean you're talking about two potential First round draft pick, defensive tackles in the same class, two five star, absolutely disruptive defensive tackles in the same class. 
to then pair with everybody you just mentioned, it would be, you know, that would put it uh, at that point. I don't care if Oklahoma's class is ranked first or 10th. It doesn't really matter because, again, it's like putting together a draft board, right? And you come out of the draft. It's like, oh, well, they landed, you know, guys that were maybe a little bit higher ranked or whatever, you know, right? Well, it's, it's about fit and it's about you filling the need. Yeah, you know, I think those guys fit and fill a need. And just let's not forget that on our, at least our pod and on our site, we think OU has three five-star offensive players and Taylor Tatum, who looked like a looks who uh, the guys on Scoop were saying when they were at they were at their uh, Josh was at his game tonight. He says he thinks he's six one. He's six foot two fifteen now, um, which puts Taylor Tatum in a completely. But he's if he's five ten one ninety. That's one thing. If he's six foot two fifteen as a senior in high school, that's something else. Uh, and then you've got Davin Mitchell, who actually was ragdolling people at defensive end this weekend, and and, his, and at tight end just looks like a million dollars. And then you've got Zion Kearney, who to me he's a he's, he looks like a he looks like a five star receiver. Maybe the wide receiver position is so loaded that with Ryan Wingo, Jeremiah Smith. Josh Trader. Uh, I mean, is it that much worse than Wesco? I think his physical ability. I think Wesco, his, he does some things on film, like his ability to go up and get the ball, where you're like, it looks like a CD lamb, you know? But there's also, at the same time, I would say it's six and one, a half dozen the other, because there are uh, Kearney's like, strength and speed and explosive ability, right? And those are things that Wesco genetically doesn't have. Like yeah. he's not going to be six yeah. two or six three, two hundred five pounds, take a slant and just rip the corner's arms off and run by the safety. Like that's and, just never going to be Brian Wesco, right? But that's 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 Curry. So it's you know to me it's like uh, you know it's like, hey you want Devontae Adams or do you want CD Lamb? It's like can I both? But yeah, yeah. or uh, <laughs> not not to make a comparison to a Longhorn, but the other Roy Williams. Yeah, all right. He's got a way better date. That's weird to say because I, I just no, couldn't get over his, his terrible date. runner. But at the same time, like a legit Olympic athlete. Yeah. His his like long jump, if he decided, hey, I want to go, you know, break the world record in long jump, probably could have done it. Okay, so we we're all, we're pretty convinced that this is, you know, this is why we just did 45 minutes for you guys. This is a huge commitment, huge pickup. We don't know what's going on with Dominic McKinley. Our last update on it was a little too long ago, but our last updates on it were the OU still felt pretty confident in that battle. So at the very least, Todd Bates has a new conversation point with uh, Dom McKinley and a new discussion point to go through it. Uh, same thing with a new discussion point with Danny Okoye and uh, and obviously and Braden Platt, if they could – Somehow reverse some of that. That would be uh, reverse it on the plat. I think they're probably they're fun. they're doing really well with Smith and Okoye. I think, um, and of course, you know, I, I didn't promise that this would be a hundred percent free Williams Winery pod. So I have to give you one minute of Williams Winery. He wore the gloves again on Friday night. Uh, his teammate Kamori Moore uh, will be in Norman for the first Sooner game. So, uh, if for some reason this this bizarre recruiting took another twist and turn, David Stone's now in the house. And if you're playing really, if OU looks much better on the field and Missouri is tanking like we think they, they certainly can, 
Does David Stone's presence that wasn't a presence when Winery decided is that is that enough to to make a difference if he does reopen his recruiting? I don't know, but I certainly think it's a it could be a factor. Um, you know, you tell Winery, look, you you've got another top five guy with you. You know, Missouri's next guy. You don't have anybody at Missouri to help you at all, and your best and PJ Adivore is also going to be your other defensive end on the other side. So. You know, it's a, it's, we'll see if anything happens there. I don't think it will, but the guy, I, I, I have to, I have to, that last comment, shout out to Gerald McCoy for trolling Missouri fans with his Williams Winery post last night on Twitter. Just a, just a work of art. Thanks, Gerald. Uh, we appreciate We, we all appreciated that. So, uh, anybody got any last comments on David Stone before I close this up? All right. Sounds like we're all good. This was supposed to be. McKinley. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> only comment to David. <laughs> and on Danny. To on to the next. And Danny and so Nigel. It's like, it's like I'm giving you a, I'm giving you a, uh, I'm giving, I was about to say giving you a brand new car, but I'm hitting a sensitive topic there. So I'll back off that. So it's like I'm giving you a boat and you want a cigarette racer to go with it, right? That's right. I'm giving you a yacht and you want a cigarette racer to go with hey, it. The Pete Rose rules of playing baseball and of life, right? Which you can't argue with Pete Rose when it comes to playing baseball, but maybe in life. One, be aggressive. Two, be more aggressive. Three, never be satisfied. All right. Well, that sounds like a great point to leave off this uh, this pod. Thanks, everyone. Uh, please subscribe to the Sooners. Uh, the Sooners subscribe to the, the 360 Recruiting Pod. I'll get the name right there eventually. Um, my Twitter X handle is cm underscore Sooners 360. Please please visit our website if you don't. Give us a chance. Subscribe. Lots of great content there. Lots of chance to come to converse with everybody on this pod and have discussions about everything related to Sooner sports, football, and recruiting. So please give us a shot at at, uh, Sooners360.com. And we'll be back on Thursday with our regular broadcast pod. Thanks, everyone. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.